bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us. It's November 15th, and I'm Paul Dragoon. More Jews in America have begun to appreciate the Second Amendment since the October 7 attack on Israel. Also, eight Republicans voted against impeaching DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas for his disastrous open border policies. And the World Health Organization is dealing with a big sex scandal in Congo, where more than 100 women were sexually abused. We have those stories coming up. Plus, the CEO of the John Birch Society, Bill Hahn, will talk about what Americans can do about the World Health Organization. But first, to the dismay of many constitutionalists, it looks like there will be no government shutdown anytime soon. Yesterday, the House voted 336 to 95 to pass a short-term, laddered, continuing resolution that will fund the government through early next year. The CR included no spending cuts, no border security funding, and no Ukraine or Israel funding. 93 Republicans, including Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Rosendale, and Tim Burchett, all who voted to oust McCarthy, also voted against this CR. Political news outlets like The Hill noticed that the same members responsible for ousting McCarthy were much more forgiving of Speaker Mike Johnson's very similar move. Gates, who led the McCarthy mutiny, defended himself and Johnson. He told reporters, everyone gets a mulligan. The resolution is expected to get through the Senate and be signed by Joe Biden. But it's not policy that stirred the most chatter on Capitol Hill yesterday. The division and acrimony almost erupted into fistfights. In one incident, Tennessee Congressman Tim Burchett said that McCarthy sucker punched him while he was doing an interview. Here's Burchett telling a CNN reporter what happened. Explain to us what happened with you and Kevin McCarthy. Well, I was doing an interview um, with um, Claudia from NPR. Uh, a lovely lady, and when she was asking me a question, and, and at that time I uh, got elbowed in the back, and it kind of caught me off guard because it was a clean shot to the kidneys, and I turned back, and there was there was Kevin, and um, and I, I for a minute I was kind of what the heck just happened, and then I um, you know I, I chased after him. Of course, he's a as I've stated many times, he's a he's a bully with 17 million dollars in a security detail. You know, he's the type of guy that. When you're a kid, would throw a rock over the fence and run home and hide behind his mama's skirt. And he just, you know, he, he, uh, from behind, that kind of stuff. It, you know, that's not the way we handle things in East Tennessee. We, we if we have a problem with somebody, I'm going to look them in the eye. That same day, Oklahoma Senator Mark Wayne Mullen nearly came to blows with Sean O'Brien, who's the president of the Teamsters Union and longtime public critic of Mullen. Here's part of the exchange, which starts with Senator Mullen reading insulting social media posts that O'Brien posted about him. The voice you hear at the end is Senator Bernie Sanders stepping in before the two come to blows. Pretends like he's self-made. What a clown. Fraud. Always has been. Always will be. Quit the tough guy act in these Senate hearings. You know where to find me. Any place, any time, cowboy. Sir, this is a time, this is a place. If you want to run your mouth, we can be two consenting adults. We can finish it here. Okay, that's fine. Perfect. You want to do it now? I'd love to do it right now. Well, stand your butt up then. You stand your butt up. Oh, hold on. Oh, hold, stop it. Is that your solution? Every poll. No, no, sit down. Sit down. Okay. You know, you're a United States senator. Sit down. Active. Oh, okay, okay. Sit down, please. All right. Can I respond? Hold it. Hold it. 
If Hold we can't, no, I have the mic. Said. I'm sorry. This is Hold what it. he said. You'll have your time. Okay. Can I respond? Oh, no, you can't. <laughs> this is a hearing. And God knows the American people have enough of contempt for Congress. Let's not I don't make like it worse. Thugs and you, you have, and you have I don't like you because you Hold just it. described yourself. Hold it. The bad, the bad blood between these two is not new. And O'Brien may want to thank Senator Sanders for stepping in. Mullen apparently has fought three professional MMA fights, and he's won them all by submission or knockout within the first two rounds. So join me to discuss today's stories as executive senior editor of The New American, Steve Bonta. I know Steve, like me and you, we're, we're both trying to be professional here and not laugh about what is happening. But uh, brawls on Capitol Hill aren't necessarily, wouldn't be new if they did erupt, would they? No. <laughs> in fact, I mean, the most inf infamous example in, um, in, I think, 1856, a few years before the outbreak of the Civil War, was the famous caning of, of Senator Charles Sumner of Massachusetts, which was a pretty serious event. But Sumner, to some extent, had it coming. He stood up and he delivered. He deli Are you saying he deserved it? To some extent, he stood up and he delivered a long screed insulting the senator from South Carolina and, and uh, accusing him of being a whoremonger and the horror with which he associated being slavery. And he went on this very, very long, lurid description. And it, it, I think it's probably hard for most people with 21st century sensibilities to mm -hmm. relate to the, the, to the honor culture of yeah. early America, particularly in the American South. But it so happened that the, the, the senator who was thusly traduced had a, um, a nephew, I think, who was, who was a member of the House, who heard this, who was in the House of Representatives, and went into the Senate several days later and with a, with a, with a heavy um, walking cane walking cane with a metal head and proceeded to beat this man to a fare-do-well. Wow. And people, you know, bystanders finally pulled him off, begged him not to kill. He very nearly killed him. So Sumner was so, so badly hurt. So was he crippled hurt. too because he had a cane? So you tell me a crippled... No, he used, he used a walking stick. He wasn't crippled. Oh, okay. He was a younger man. But, the, the, you know, and, and so Sumner was not able to resume his duties as senator for close to three years after that. And during that entire time, the state of Massachusetts refused to appoint a successor. They deliberately left his chair empty to as remind. a statement. Mm. And that event is, is ascribed by historians to, you know, to the, to the contribution of, uh, you know, of, of hostility leading up to the Civil War. For the people of the South, it was a bravo moment. You know, he defended someone else's honor. This was mm -hmm. important for the people of the North. It was just another example of how barbaric the Southerners were, that they would resort to this kind of thing. And, and I think in this case... The, the, this you think this is foreshadowing about a wider conflict amongst oh, well, us no, as no, Americans? I don't know. We haven't anything as serious as that happened. There, there were actually throughout the... the, the in, in, in the antebellum period, uh, starting really from the first decade of the century onward, there were a number of incidents of fights and duels and one case where one member of Congress killed another in the 1830s, not over the slavery issue, I don't believe. Mm -hmm. So it was not an uncommon thing. A lot of it stemmed from the fact that we had this honor culture back in the day. And there's a little bit of a remnant of that today where if you imply, if I say, well, Paul, I really don't believe what you told me. You say, Are you calling, calling me, me a, liar? a liar? You know, and this is something that we just assume you can't call someone a liar because mm -hmm. you're besmirching their honor. Yeah. Outside of American or Western culture, it's, it's fairly 
fairly common to, to for people to, culture. you know, so, well, no, to for people to accuse one another of lying in the story. I mean, every culture has its has its boundaries, but but we've pretty much, I mean, with obviously we've gotten rid of dueling and gunfighting, and we've gotten to the point today where even good old fat fast, uh, you know, good old fashioned fisticuffs out behind the barn uh, is is frowned upon. People get arrested for it. Um, people get or too civilized. Is that what well? You say, I mean, Steve? And, and, you know, even when I was in school a couple of generations ago, it was common to say, "Well, you know, you need to stand up for yourself if someone bullies you." And there were several occasions when I, no doubt, you had the same situation to stand up to a bully, and that that was sort of axiomatic. This was part of the coming of age for young yeah. men. Today, uh, it's appalling to see that you know schools have these zero tolerance policies where. Even a child who's you know victim of all kinds of bullying stands up for himself, and the kid gets thrown out of school along with his tormentor or tormentors. So, the the pendulum is very much swung in the other direction, and all these people are professing horror at what happened yesterday. So you think we're too civilized now, huh? Well, I will note this: it has been symptomatic of some of the world's healthiest governments in terms of freedom for there to be occasional kerfuffles. Uh, Taiwan, for example, is famous for this. Oh. They have, and they're hilarious to watch. They get angry, so they start throwing chairs at each other in parliament and this kind of thing. But on the other hand, it's hard to argue with Taiwan's success in terms of um, economic mm. success, in terms of you know, maximizing the freedom of its citizens. It's a highly successful little country. So, you know, yeah. I, I think in, in incidents like this tend to, tend to humanize mm. our leaders and the fact that we are so obsessed with this stifling level of decorum now in D.C., this plays into the hands of the real bullies, the people who are waging lawfare against Donald Trump and all the MAGA people and the January 6th people who yeah. can get away with this because people have no recourse. Yeah. And for the record, we do not advocate violence. No, we certainly do not. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Up next, more American Jews are packing heat and a group of Republicans voted against impeaching a DHS secretary that is either profoundly inept or a subversive. Freedom is the cure. You're dead on. This is the largest experiment performed on human beings in the history of the world. The more you know. What they're doing is they're forcing vaccination on people, and I believe they are killing people with this vaccination. The freer you are. It's murder. They are basically murdering people in hospitals. The all-cause mortality we know is now higher in the vaccinated group than the unvaccinated group. Stay informed on the issues that affect freedom. Get a subscription to The New American today. TheNewAmerican.com Welcome back. There was a rally in Washington, D.C. yesterday with Israel supporters flooding the Capitol. Organizers say that nearly 300,000 people showed up. Homeland Security designated the rally a level one security risk, the highest classification possible. 11 days ago, on November 4th, thousands of people showed up to support Palestine. The war in the Middle East has ignited feuds across the Western world that many hadn't anticipated. And it's ignited violence beyond the borders of Israel and Gaza. But it's also stirred up an appreciation for the Second Amendment. Reports have been surfacing about the rise of gun ownership among Jews in America. Gun range and store owners all over the country are reporting that they're seeing a massive increase in Jewish gun ownership. 
In a report from NBC, one woman says she was anti-gun until October 7 happened. Afterwards, she said she learned that, quote, Jewish people are not safe anywhere now, end quote. All right, Steve. So I have a bone to pick with that lady's um, assessment there. And I would go further and say that no one is necessarily safe anywhere. That's what the anti-gun clingers have been saying for a while. It's you never know when something's going to strike. And, uh, and you know, it'd be good to be uh, to have that kind of uh, uh, self-defense uh, potential there. Well, I agree. Um, but I think, you know, to the to the subject at hand, I mean, the Jews have long experience with this, you know, starting with the uh, the blood libels and the pogroms of the Middle Ages, well, going back even further than that. So if there are any people in the world who ought to be, you know, committed, firmly committed to the axiom mm-hmm. of self-defense and pres- preservation of the Second Amendment, yeah. it ought to be the Jews and in particular, you know, American Jews. That said... It's no secret that a large number of American Jews, particularly, you know, the ur- urban Jews and so forth, and Ivy League, all the Jews and Hollywood Jews, you know, tend to be liberal and democratic. Mm-hmm. That's, that's by no means all of them, but there are a large contingent of them. And I think some of this may have arisen from the fact that since the inception of the American colonies, really, I mean, the first Jews began coming over at the very beginning of the colonial period because they sensed early on, well, he, he, maybe here's a place finally where our people can settle, where they're not going to be subject to the whims of the local populace every time there's another outbreak of the bubonic plague or whatever, yeah. blaming the Jews, po- the, the, the poisoning the wells, all that stuff. And so, and there, there, you know, there were Jewish supporters among the founding fathers uh, who helped finance the revolution. The founding fathers, uh, wise men that they were, thought very highly of the Jews, and they have always been welcome here in the United States. Yeah. Speaking for the vast majority of Americans Obviously, there are there, anti-Semitism is a real thing, yeah. and we're seeing that now. And we are, and, I, and, and and this is what's happened: is all of a sudden, after the, the, this horrific event in October seventh, all of these people in America, most of whom are liberal in persuasion, so so-called so leftists, are coming out and showing their their, their true colors. Yeah. And this, I, I think, you know, among other things, it teaches, it reinforces something that we here at the John Birch Society have been teaching all along, and that is that there really is no difference between Nazism, fascism, the so-called right-wing extremism, mm. Mm. Fascism, and, yeah. Which and is communism right. and, 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 and radical leftism, on the other hand. They're all of a piece. And what they have in common is that they all require enemies. Okay, I mean, this is something, a lesson I learned living in, in communist China, is that in order to, 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 to ensure its own continuance, Communism, as Orwell rightly perceived in 1984, that kind of totalitarian collectivism requires the constant manufacture of enemies. The Jews have always made a convenient public enemy because they're so successful, uh, because they typically have large concentrations of wealth because of their work ethic, because of their ability to network one with another and help one another out. Although they have this very communitarian mm-hmm. network that's been, that's been forced upon them by the circumstance of centuries and centuries of persecution and mar- marginalization. So they've developed the, 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 these, these you know, intricate survival mechanisms, and it's led to their becoming a, a very, very you know, exceptionally gifted, successful people. Again, speaking in generalities. And that's made them so enemies? Obviously, they're the, going to be the subject of popular envy, 
And when things go wrong, you can blame the Jews. And uh, not just, uh, obviously, in the Middle Ages, it was every time there was an outbreak of the plague, the Jews must be responsible somehow. Oh, they got you blamed know. for the plague, too? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That, 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 there were massive waves of pogroms. That, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of Jews were massacred and synagogues mm. were burned and so forth during the, particularly the, the, the initial outbreak, mm. the Black Death period um, in, in South Central Europe. Huh. Sure, yeah. they they got the so, blame. So, what was yeah. what was the logic behind that? That what that well, they the, created the a disease? The, it was it was it was it was the I mean the so called logic was the unreason of the day, which said, well, the Jews are uh, secretly uh, practicing witchcraft. They're poisoning wells, yeah. uh, and that's what's causing oh, wow. the, the plague outbreak and so forth. So people say, "All right, let's go kill a bunch of Jews." That was the solution, you know, all through the all through the Middle Ages. Yeah. At, you know, not not every day or every month, but periodically. Mm-hmm. You know, every 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 few generations, you know, people needed an outlet, and the Jews were the ones that bore the brunt. Now, in the United States, that's never happened yeah. until now. Until now, let's look at our next story. So the House of Representatives on Monday had an opportunity to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas thanks to an impeachment resolution that Congressman Marjorie Taylor Greene brought to the House floor. But the House instead voted 209 to 201 to send the resolution to the Homeland Security Committee. Eight Republicans joined Democrats to sideline the impeachment measure indefinitely. The eight Republicans are Patrick McHenry of North Carolina, Ken Buck of Colorado, Daryl Issa of California, Cliff Bentz of Oregon, Tom McClintock of California, Virginia Fox of North Carolina, John Duarte of California, and Mike Turner of Ohio. McClintock said in a statement that Mayorkas is is the worst cabinet secretary in American history and that he's guilty of malfeasance, neglect of duty, and maladministration. He has implemented Biden's open border policy that has produced the worst mass illegal migration ever recorded. That's what he said. So why did he block the vote to impeach Mayorkas then? In McClintock's words, the grounds for impeachment are explicitly laid out in the Constitution. Treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. To remove an official by impeachment, it must be for a clearly defined crime, and it must be a high crime, meaning one related to the official's duties. It sounds like McClintock isn't convinced that Mayorkas' dereliction of duty constitutes a high crime. MTG, however, has a different take. She accuses Mayorkas of violating the Secure Fence Act of 2006. Congressman Andy Biggs of Arizona, who supported impeaching Mayorkas, said this in an interview with the Gateway Pundit just before the vote. This guy has basically changed the culture of the United States of America. He's changed the geography of the United States. If you want to know what failed states, the first thing that goes in a failed nation it's to lose control of your geographical integrity. We have lost right. control of that. This guy is the architect for that. Congressman Biggs also addressed the terrorist threat. I just had a classified briefing last week on the, on the numbers of people uh, on terror watch list and what their, what their background is um, mm-hmm. coming in. And we know those are only the people we know, the people that that we've been able to vet, we've been able to interdict. We, we, there's a whole, look, almost two million people or more um, have come in that we don't know who they are. We can't vet them. We don't know where they're going. We don't know what their intentions are. I would say our national security is at risk. So those eight Republicans, pretty much, they, uh, they decided, they, uh, it was up to them, and, and their uh, votes made it so that Mayorkas doesn't have to feed, uh, 
face impeachment. Um, that's that's pretty interesting. What, I, what is it about the number eight? Because you remember there were, there were eight people who determined the fate of Kevin McCarthy mm. a couple months ago. And now we have a new a, a new panel, a new hateful eight that uh, are responsible for for basically deep sixing this something that they've been saying that they're going to do yeah. since forever, which is impeach a guy who's who's eminently deserving of being impeached. We need to Mallorca. continue this conversation right after this break. So, hey, folks, the New American just released our latest collector's edition bookazine. It's called Self-Reliance, Foundation of Freedom. Without individual responsibility and the ability to take care of ourselves without government help, we can't be free. This polished collector's edition includes an articles on a number of topics, including the self-sufficiency of the founders, preparing for a worst-case scenario, firearm self-reliance, the importance of community, and many others. The authors are experts on their topics. We encourage you to get a copy. You can order copies at thenewamerican.com forward slash shop, or you can call our office, 800-727-8783. Next up, the latest WHO scandal provides yet another reason to stop funding the UN. The John Birch Society has been working tirelessly since 1958 to preserve freedom, safeguard the Constitution, and restore our God-given rights. We continually educate voters and lead the freedom movement. Join us as we work against a tyrannical one-world government. United as one, we can defeat this conspiracy against a free America. JBS founder Robert Welch said, education is our total strategy and truth our only weapon. Join us in restoring this great nation. All right, welcome back, folks. So, Steve, you had some uh, additional thoughts to add to this impeachment, this failed impeachment inquiry of Mayorkas. Well, what 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 can I, what can you say about this? People, you know, the people, including a lot of Republicans, are claiming that the impeachment investigation of Biden is probably overdrawn. That there's no real evidence there, and on. I think they have a weak case. But if it is the case, let's let's just say for Where's the sake, weak case, Mayorkas or say, Biden. Well, let's just say for the case, for the sake of argument that maybe the case to impeach uh, Joe Biden is marginal at best. Okay, but. But Mayorkas? Yeah. Okay, this is a man who has been cynically, cavalierly derelict in his duties. Yeah. To which, of course, these eight individuals would probably respond, were they in the studio, to object. Yes, but that doesn't constitute high crimes and misdemeanors. Oh, really? Okay, so so abject refusal to defend the borders of the United States. One of the few truly legitimate non-controversial functions of the federal government is to defend the borders of the country as a whole. Yeah, in that some, doesn't in some constitute form. high crime, huh? And, 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 and simply flagrantly refusing to do that for a very clear political agenda, if that doesn't constitute actionable high crime, yeah. let alone a misdemeanor, I don't know what, what, what does. I, I would say he's either inept or, or subversive, but because I'm leaning towards subversive just because to be that inept... That you can't be that inept because he, I'm sure he has survivors. No, it's, he it's, has, not an, it's not an ineptitude. He, it's, it's very clear what he and the Biden administration and, of course, all of the, the broader penumbra of the radical left mm-hmm. is trying to do, using the Democratic Party as their vehicle. They're trying to fundamentally transform the, the politics culture. and the culture of the United States by mass importation of, for the most part, you know, undereducated illegals 
who are going to ultimately, they hope, remember that the Democratic Party was their benefactor when yeah. they become citizens and when their children are raised in this country. They're looking for a permanent underclass to support A permanent to underclass them. to support them, yes. yes and and you know, this power. is the reason that legitimate immigrants from Europe and and indeed, for, you know, the, you know, intelligent uh, would-be entrepreneurs from India and China and other parts of the world who want to come here and, and for, for, for real. These talented people, they make it hard as the dickens for them to get in. Mm-hmm. And the same is true with, with, with people who are married to Americans. It's a very, very difficult process. But people who are willing to, to break the law, yeah. trudge into the United States in mass and in effect, you know, be, be, be shipped off to live in, in shelters in, in large cities. These are exactly the kind of people that the Democrats, and yeah. I don't want to sound partisan here. I should say maybe the radical left caters to. Yeah. That's the, these are the type of people of whom radical and even violent revolutions are made. These are the people who made up the sans-culotte, you know, who, who, who started the whole French Revolution, you know, the poor, unwashed, ignorant masses. And, and not that there's anything wrong with being poor and unwashed. Ignorant, though, I have a problem with. And, you know, historically, traditionally, the idea was anyone who qualified could immigrate to the United States. But there was there was a condition, and that was that you needed to be, uh, you know, you needed to have some, you know, rudimentary understanding and appreciation of support for the American system, the culture, the government, the Constitution, yeah. all these things. These millions of illegal immigrants have none of those things, and they're not going to. They're not going to go through that either because we're not emphasizing. And that's that not anymore. to you know, and that's not to mention the significant number now documented who've come in with clearly malign intentions, who yeah. are terrorist watch lists, who are clearly infiltrating, and the fact that Mayorkas has knowingly enabled and abetted all of this. Should, if that's not a high crime and misdemeanor, nothing is. Good point. Thanks, Steve. Let's look at our last story. So we have more reason to cut ties with the United Nations. It turns out its global health arm, the World Health Organization, is not only inept and led by Marxists, but its people have a penchant for sexually assaulting women in the third world. According to an internal memo cited by the Associated Press, international aid workers with the WHO working against Ebola between 2018 and 2020 sexually abused or exploited 104 women in Congo. Some of the assaults resulted in pregnancies with some babies needing special medical attention. But don't worry. Because the women got payouts. To console them, the WHO tried to give them $250 each. But the compensation wasn't just given out. The victims had to earn it by undergoing training for income-generating activities. About a third of the victims were deemed impossible to locate, and some women declined the offer outright. The grand total of 26000 in compensation represents 1% of the $2 million survivor assistance fund of the WHO. According to earlier reports, 21 WHO staffers were among 83 aid workers who engaged in sexual crimes against local women and girls. The abuses ranging ranging from rapes to offering employment in exchange for sex were uncovered by an independent commission. Local women were plied with drinks, ambushed in hospitals, and forced into sexual encounters, otherwise known as rape. The WHO's regional director says she was humbled, horrified, and heartbroken about what happened. We in WHO are indeed humbled, horrified, and heartbroken by the findings of this inquiry. I'd like also to thank all the women and girls who have come forward and given evidence to the investigation and thus have given us the basis on which to take action in WHO, which has been necessary. So, 
how did the WHO respond to this scandal? Well, it fired just five perpetrators and not a single senior manager who knew of the abuses. Steve, does any of this uh, surprise you? Well, not really. The UN for has has periodically the U, the larger UN system has been involved with various embarrassing instant you know sex scandals over the UNICEF. I think a number of years ago, yeah. it turned out that they were trafficking child porn through the was it the UNICEF headquarters? I believe in, I don't or UNESCO, one of the two. I get them mixed up. But in, in actually in Belgium, mm. and and so. Um, and but they also have a record, a bad track record in Africa. They, well, they do, they do. And I mean, back in the '90s, I remember we had we and we published some of this in the New American. There were uh, photos that emerged of UN peacekeeper troops in, I believe it was Somalia, uh, torturing Somali youth, you know, deliberately holding them over a fire and doing all these types of things uh, for the sheer sadistic joy of it. I mean, in the one hand. Any government or government-like organization has baked into its structure uh, strong incentives for misbehavior. This is the reason that we in the United States, the founders tried to give us a government that would rein in those worse impulses. And even with constitutional limits from the foundation of the republic to today, you know, instances of of sexual malfeasance among government, uh, you, you know, government officials, and all, all kinds of other corrupt and malign activity that ordinary people generally would blanch at, have been quietly winked at and count, countenanced in the halls of Washington D.C. and so forth and so on. So the fact that the UN, which is a quasi-government, it, 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 in many ways, it really is a, a, a sort of an infantile world government. Uh, it's not surprising, and that they would do this, that, that, that they behave the same, and more so since, of course, the UN has does not make any pretense at at wanting to limit its power. It's constantly trying to arrogate more and more, and yeah. to to assert itself increasingly as the global, you know, arbiter, a power broker of last resort, with hopes of eventually morphing into a true world government. So it shouldn't surprise us that many of its myrmidons are people, essentially amoral people, who will try to get away with things like this if they if they believe they can. Do you, do you think the the amount of the payoff, the $250, that that's an indication of what they think of these people? Because we constantly hear of how the West uses Africa as, for, as guinea pigs, whether it be for vaccines or other things. It seems like their actions are always indicating they think so low of people in Africa and perhaps other third world countries. Well, sure. And I mean, I mean again, th- th- this, is, this, is, this is also axiomatic. The so-called left, the radical left, is always puritanical and self-righteous about the racism. They always accuse the people on the other side, us, yeah. of being the racists, when in fact... They're the racists. Sure, their behavior shows again and again, they're the ones that truly look down and, you know, because of this, with this unspoken assumption that the entire world needs this network of international white saviors, mm-hmm. you know, informed by, 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 by European ideals um, to, to safeguard them save the, the continent. Right, sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right, thanks, Steve. After this, Bill Hahn and I, we're going to be talking about action when it comes to the United Nations. We'll be right back. As a lumberjack, my job is pretty straightforward. I see the wood, I chop the wood. We even hear crazy ideas on how kids should learn. Visit thenewamerican.com for real news you can trust. So joining me is the 
CEO of the John Birch Society, Bill Hahn. Bill, thank you for joining us again. Yes, and, sir. Uh, thank you. We're going to talk about the United Nations. We've talked about the United Ooh, Nations before. Topic. Today, we have more reason to talk about the United Nations. So take it away, sir. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, You know, you and Steve were just talking about the you know World Health Organization. And, and of course, the whole push with, with trying uh, for them to basically take over the, uh, you know, health, health emergencies, you know, mm -hmm. as, as they call it with pandemics and whatnot, uh, plandemics. Uh, so they had, um, there's a big push obviously to, yeah. you know, uh, They're trying conglomerate to... all that power, you know, under them. Right. And this is exactly what the United Nations has been doing, you know, for, uh, you know, many, many, many Well, this decades. has been their goal to aggregate oh, complete power. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, the interesting thing in all of this, is that, uh, and, and I think Steve would be able to give some rather very interesting insight uh, because he spent COVID in China. in China, right? So, but what happened when, you know, China locked down and, and, and what did they do then with, with, their, with their country? I mean, here you have a country that is based off of centralized power of that government over individuals, right? right? It's a certified communist country. Yes, not the case here, but when you are trying to, when, when, when a free country adopts communist uh, tactics, strategies, and things of that nature in order to combat a so-called virus, there's a, there's a huge problem with that because obviously the, uh, what we saw throughout, throughout COVID and, and the lockdowns, uh, 99.9% of it was unconstitutional. You know, and there is a huge problem with 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 there being some sort of a, obviously a, a huge incompatibility between a communist country and obviously a country that's based off of you know God-given rights that are supposed to be protected by a certain amount of of limited government, and so trying to give them all this power is 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 a huge mistake. Yeah, and we talk about you know taking action. What have the Chinese officials done over the years in order to take? action on their own and take control of uh, of the United Nations. They are coming very close uh, to to that aspect of things because when you look at um, leadership positions within the United Nations, the, the Chinese have made huge strides in putting their people in these leadership positions. Right. You know, so, so here you've got, you know, this communist country who has no regard for uh, individual liberties, li liberties, uh, you know, uh, humanities, uh, life, morality, none of that. Yeah. And you're going to put them in charge, you know, of, of health throughout the world. <laughs> yeah. I mean, goodness sakes, gee, what could go wrong? Well, I don't know. Maybe you have a bunch of staffers going around raping people in Africa. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I'm not sure how much you want to tie, tie that in, in, into here, but that is a, that is a, you know, a great example of what, what had happened with the UN going wrong. And let, let's keep this in mind. All of the examples that we can point to, you know, as far as UN peacekeeping troops, these are not um, the UN's own military, okay? The peacekeepers are basically um, UN member countries that send in soldiers. Yeah. So we'll make a parallel just like we did with, with uh, you know, the, the WHO and, and COVID. So here you've got um, members from, from communist countries that are going into other countries and whether it's they're, they're, they're free or, or they're socialist, they're communist, whatever the case may be. Um, 
there is no loyalty to a particular country that they are fighting for at that time. And this was a huge problem in, uh, in Katanga in about 1961. And huge, huge problems with, with uh, the UN peacekeeping troops at that time. They had, and I, and I actually have a, have a quote here. Uh, so this is, a, this is something that uh, was fantastic with the John Birch Society. We have a longstanding archive. So we were founded in 1958. This was published in 1962 of March in, in one of our um, uh, magazines called American Opinion. And it says here the campaign, which was the uh, campaign to invade uh, to uh, invade Katanga, basically, was it says here was apparently related to the insistence that central Congolese troops be included in the UN. And it says in, in parentheses here, Indian, Swedish, Ethiopian, etc., troops already engaged in the pacification of Katanga. Their record, which is the the Congolese troops' record of mutiny, rape, massacre, and pillage, was well known, and their presence in Katanga invites a spreading civil war. And this was a quote that uh, was from the New York Times of December 1961. Mm-hmm. And so it says so here... So things never change. Absolutely. In November 1961, the plan to send UN tr- uh, forces to invade Katanga and overthrow the Tshambi uh, regime was clearly recognized as, quote, Soviet and left-wing African maneuvers, unquote. Chicago Sometimes, 1961. Wow. You know, so... When you, when you have, so let's just say, you know, we, we ceded a bunch of sovereignty then over to the United Nations in regards to, you know, health. What happens then when we have, you know, these leaders that are, that are, that are, that are communists that come in and say, okay, everybody's got a lockdown. There's no personal rights. Well, that's what so they forth. tried with COVID. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, and, you, and, and it's not going to get any better no. by putting them in charge, you know, over this is what is what I'm getting at. Yeah. And the WHO is trying to assume more power over Absolutely. this global health. And they used obviously COVID as an excuse to say, we need, we need a global health agency. Yes. And this is who they are. And, 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 and look at what we've got. We've, we've got a vaccine that kills more people than it helps. Um, we, we, we have, you know, a track record then of, uh, um, Businesses going out of you know out of business uh, because of the because of the lockdown. Thousands of businesses never yeah, came absolutely. back. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, and and they've not come back at all. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. So so and I mean this. So what play, can we do? Yeah, what can we do? There we go. <laughs> right. This is this is taking action. So again, uh, we'll go back to we got to keep nailing it home. And it's well, all. absolutely. We go back to to the United Nations. You know what is its purpose? You know it, it is there to basically hoover up as much sovereignty as it can. Uh, in order to have that that world government, you know, around uh, a one world, you know, uh, new world order, I guess. That was always the goal. A lot, absolutely. A, a lot of people say it's like, well, the United Nations has lost its way. It's like, no, that was no, always the absolutely. goal was to assume all this power. That's right. That's right. And it's to replace, it's basically, and to eliminate God yeah. you know, out, of, out, of, out of everything. And so... Um, which is why we uh, unleashed our first action project. Was it 1962? 19, about 1961, 1962. was get us out of the United Nations. Mm-hmm. That still stands today. And because of the actions of the John Birch Society, the very active members that, are, that, uh, that we have out there, um, you know, really helping to educate folks on the atrocities of the United Nations and the, the, all the, what could go wrong and what is going wrong, um, we have seen the, the, the uh, opinion of the American people Turn against the United Nations, yeah. Uh, over over the decades, there've been there've been multiple reports that of, of, of the Western countries, we have the lowest approval rating of mm. the United Nations, and of course, we take some credit for uh, for that, the John Birch Society, because we've been working at this 
60 years. That's right. How we've been helping. We used to have those uh, billboards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Out. Get us out. You Absolutely. Know, we had the bumper stickers yeah. and whatnot. And I think we can do it, especially now. We keep we keep uh, hammering this and let them know this is an organization that intends to take control of your health, to, it intends to take control or take the sovereignty of your nation away. This is a very dangerous organization. It's not just a bunch of inept and apparently very corrupt people going around raping people in third world countries. Right. They intend to take over the whole world. That's right. So one of the, one of the things that people could easily do is go to gbs.org and uh, go to the Take Action and look for uh, federal legislative alerts. Click on that and uh, go. And there, there's basically a piece of legislation called the American Sovereignty Restoration Act that yeah. needs to be reintroduced in both the the House and the Senate. And those, if I, I, I have to firmly believe that if they got in uh, and, and were introduced, that there would be a, a lot of support, you know, for for those things at least in the House. Yeah, I think support is is growing. I think a couple of weeks ago we just. We reported on Fox News of all places. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. uh, even they were saying, it's like, we need to get rid of these people. They haven't done us any good. So again, JBS.org, take action. We have legislative alerts. And we also have on their action projects when you go to JBS.org, uh, we have Get Us Out of the UN. If you mm-hmm. want to learn a little bit more uh, about oh, the yeah. history, lots there. why we need to get <laughs> out, uh, everything we've done. Thank you, Bill Hahn. Thank you so much. Bill Hahn of the John Birch Society. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of New American Daily. And remember to visit thenewamerican.com for more truth behind the news. Enjoy the rest of your day and join us again tomorrow for another episode.